0: Chapter 19 of the Ins and Outs of Paris, or Paris by Day and Night by Julie de Marguerite. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Palais Royal, the palmy days of the Palais Royal have gone by the days when English and Russians, those innate badauds or gulls, thronged its galleries and brought up all the useful and useless things which its shop windows contained. The boulevards, the rue de la Paix, the place de la Bourse the rue neuve vivienne the numerous passages especially the passage de panorama have dispersed all those who used to congregate in this one refuge for the idol still however the palais royal is crowded by people going in every direction for its four sides of arched stone galleries lead to so many places by the principal entrances besides at every two or three doors there are little dark mysterious passages down which one hesitates to venture though there is no occasion to do so and which bring you into streets you fancied miles off and to which you are planning your shortest way the palais royal spite of its royal name and that has been changed since the imperial dynasty into palais national has always had a revolutionary and democratic turn the heads of political parties discontented princes too near and too far from the throne to be faithful subjects and satisfied with their condition Have held conspiracies here from time immemorial. The Palais Royal and Versailles, the Palais Royal and the Tuileries, have always been at variance, one dreading the other, and neither daring openly to show its real sentiments. The Palais Royal was the gift of a subject to the King of France, but when we say that Richelieu was the subject and Louis the Thirteenth the king, we shall easily know which was the sovereign. There was a beautiful picture gallery and a magnificent library within the walls of the palais cardinal as it was then called and the galleries containing the shops which are now the principal attraction did not then exist kings however did not like this abode so within the reach of the people not always in a quiescent state and close to the hall or market where revolt and insolence were ever fermenting mazarin another cardinal lived in it and anne of austria with the infant louis the fourteenth dwelt for some time within its walls but louis the fourteenth once his own master louis the fourteenth with the project of versailles in his head disdained the palais royal and gave it as a dowry to his daughter mademoiselle de blois when she married her cousin the duke of orleans afterwards regent of france of this princess who brought the palais royal into the orleans family Whence were destined to spring the two revolutions that dethroned the Bourbons? Three things only were recorded the vices of her numerous children, her own apathetic inactivity, and her epitaph, an epigram both on the dead and the living. Sigit l'oisiveti, la mère de tous les vices. Here lies idleness, the mother of all the vices. Well, our palais royal, in possession of the regent, soon rose into importance and celebrity and was not long in forming a rival court to that of versailles philippe d'orleans had great love for the arts gross as were his appetites depraved as were sometimes his tastes he could appreciate genius and refinement in others he was besides an artist of some talent himself his three pictures of daphnis and chloe have been engraved and are much esteemed by connoisseurs he assembled within the palace the artistic talent the savants both foreign and french who found but cold and supercilious receptions at the majestic and formal court of versailles it was philippe Egaliti who conceived the project of turning to account the vast garden attached to the palace and of converting it into an emporium of shops and cafes strange to say this determination which tended to deroyalize the palace was far from being popular the people had or thought they had plenty of shops and in that closely packed quartier of narrow streets and towering houses they had but one garden the one belonging to the palace which like that of the tuileries was open to the public the duke however persisted and cutting down the trees in a merciless manner and rooting up both lawn and flower gardens he built a whole square of wooden shops and cafes. which after the bourgeois had grumbled at us infringing on his pleasures he immediately rented seeing they would be a good speculation we are not going to write a history of the revolutions of france the stirring events of which have most of them gone on in this garden stimulated by the inhabitants of this palace under these very trees where now children are playing and calm old women are knitting their stockings and garrulous old men are discussing politics murat danton camille desmoulins and saint-just thundered forth those volcanic speeches which evoked from the crater of popular discontent the burning lava destined to overwhelm and destroy all that had existed for centuries the palais royal assumed all the reputation and splendor which made it the resort of strangers under philippe duke of orleans the son of egalite who like his father contributed to dethrone the elder branch but more adroit or luckier than he contrived to take his place though he could not contrive to keep it Louis Philippe was endowed with the speculative turn of his father and discovered that the speculation of turning his palace into a bazaar had been a good one and was therefore worthy of being carried out. He therefore proceeded to embellish it and to build that glass gallery sacred to restaurateurs and milliners called the Galerie d'Orleans here under Louis the Eighteenth and Charles X congregated the foreigners more especially the english whom napoleon's enmity and continual wars had kept so long from the continent french bonnets french jewelry from bourguignon the originator of most of the designs for real gold and precious stones french dinners ices opera-glasses sweetmeats parasols and a thousand things of which the english never inquired the price but were obliged to inquire the uses and the names were all to be found in the palais royal here too were when gaming was allowed in france the celebrated gambling houses here was the number one one three where so much money was lost and won and where almost every week there was some horrible catastrophe of ruin and despair immediately hushed up by the police as soon as the daylight disappeared and these long galleries forming a well-proportioned square round a beautiful garden with flowing fountains flowers and waving trees were lighted up the population who turn night into day would take the place of those who love and dare to bask in the sunshine here in full dress sanctioned by the police paraded the handsomest and the frailest women in paris bringing in their train a host of swindlers gamblers and roues, besides a quantity of dupes destined to become a prey to the arts of the whole gang the milliners shops were kept open though it was no longer bonnets that they sought to sell the restaurateurs the tailors and the jewelers kept their shops brilliantly illuminated till the small hours of the night as for the gambling houses they never closed till dawn the galleries of the palais royal were at this time the saturnalia of the french capital the perfumes the sights the heat the bright eyes and white shoulders the continued babble of tongues all talking in loud tones the thrilling laughter the tempting luxuries displayed in the shop windows formed an unhealthy and intoxicating atmosphere from which it was good to escape into the cool garden with the pure calm moon looking so solemnly sad on the white statues and through the long waving trees louis philippe pursued the policy of his ancestors with regard to the court of the tuileries and the palais royal under the specious pretext of popularity and the arts became the headquarters of sedition excluded from the court as the son of a regicide he bore himself with a mock humility which touched the sympathies of the duchess de berry his own niece by marriage so that she interceded for him and the doors of the tuileries were thrown open to him he afterwards rewarded the duchess for her kindness when he became king by imprisonment and disgrace a conduct fully worthy of his ancestors and his antecedents whatever may have been his motives louis philippe besides embellishing the palais royal cleansing it and purifying it by tearing down many of the tottering buildings throwing open many thoroughfares and closing many dark alleys cleansed it morally by excluding the nightly visitors whose dress and manners revealed their infamous trade and had rendered the palais royal impassable after dark to every modest woman of whatever rank she might be his fair young daughters and their exemplary mother dwelt above these galleries so thronged with misery and vice and echoing with the yells of madame Bacchance, whose oaths and blasphemies sometimes reached them in their calm pure chambers startling them from their innocent dreams by realities of vices and crimes of which they had never heard or thought so at the solicitation of the duchess afterwards queen marie amelie the galleries of the palais royal were rendered safe by night as well as by day for everyone. when louis philippe became king he abolished gaming making it a crime as in other countries and so the palais royal was restored to respectability now though not a fashionable place the palais royal or palais national as the emperor calls it is still a wonderful beautiful and fascinating place and most peculiarly parisian come to it on a bright spring morning the cannon that the rays of the sun fire off in the garden with a loud explosion has just announced midday the cafes have set forth their freshly painted chairs and marble tables encroaching on the garden and several very clean-looking waiters with elaborate waistcoats and crisocal gilt chains with napkins as large and as white as the old bourbon standard are leaning against them waiting the arrival of customers and resting from the avalanche of breakfasters which has just ceased pouring in around them in the gardens are old men digesting their one roll and cafe lait waiting for the dinner hour with calm dignity and an hourly increasing appetite which they feed with mental food from the constitutionnel the monteur and the débat. old mustachioed officers who though they have gained neither pensions nor employments have lost their dogged discontented look since napoleon empereur has brought them back a recollection of l'autre whose memory is enshrined in all french hearts these officers now talk much louder than they did and boldly recount the stories and difficulties of the campagne d'Italie and as one passes along the words Austerlitz and Marengo greet the car instead of the words font public campagne de chemin de fer and la bourse which under louis philippe the citizen king so long formed the objects of life and topics of general conversation on the stone benches are seated coquettish buns. And by the side of many insinuating soldiers called contemptuously Tour in the last specific period and somewhat disdained by civilians and even pretty buns. But now that things are military, the buns ogle the soldiers, the soldier quizzes the civilian, and instead of being called names by these peaceful worthies, he in his turn calls them Pequin and Blancbec. Under the galleries, there is no crowd but a few pretty well-dressed women from the rue montmartre the rue du Mail, and the place de la victoire saunter along in search of cheap and effective bonnets which with a little taste and knowledge and a character firm enough not to be persuaded or deluded into eccentricities by garrulous milliners may be had for one-quarter of the price of those from the rue de la paix in such places of course here are the inevitable english finding fault with everything yet buying everything Thinking the people fools for selling their goods so cheap, yet beating them down because they are afraid of being done by the Frenchmen, wondering if they will find anything to eat, wanting ices when other people take soup, abusing the claret because it is not port, and altogether conducting themselves in a way they would not dare to dream of in their own country. But what does it matter? Anything may be done in Paris. At least so they think. Now, by the rue de Valois, it is one o'clock there comes along the gallery a whole party of ladies and gentlemen all perfectly well dressed and well bred though they do talk a little louder and laugh a little more perhaps than it is quite comme il faut as they pass every one looks round at them with a good-humoured smile the waiters within the cafes rush to the door to see them pass and the waiters in the gardens bridle up and give an extra dusting to the tables as if to induce them to stop the old officers, all moustache and decorations, salute the ladies, and after watching them till they are out of sight, sit down and begin to recall the bygone and glorious days of some of the party, beginning generally with, "Ah, monsieur," said De Jazet, "et elle For the party we have seen pass before us consisted of the troupe of the laughter-loving theatre, the Théâtre du Palais Royal. That lady who was first, enveloped in a black lace scarf which she wears with parisian coquetry and andalusian grace her step so elastic that the very stones seem to bound beneath her tiny foot and arched instep that lady whose beaming eyes almost made you forget her gentle smile and her pearly teeth that is the celebrated mademoiselle de Jassette. celebrated too for a far longer time than you would deem possible for 20 years more 30 still more let me whisper it before she is quite out of sight for fifty years but then she began her career and her celebrity together at the age of ten years she has maintained it ever since without any exceptions go and see her to-night you will see her play richelieu the duke not the cardinal when he was a cornet in the king's guard and got into all sorts of scrapes see her enact louis the fifteenth at sixteen or beranger's fretillon or the an old woman of ninety success has left her free from envy riches have not hardened her heart errors she has had several have been called her lovers be that as it may those thus designated have all remained her friends and gather round her with affectionate solicitude and esteem how many young artists has she encouraged and brought forward how many aged and infirm artists does she support in secret how cheerful and unostentatious and is her manner! How witty her conversation! Truly, as our officers say, dejazette is a wonderful woman. Rarely do this troop, coming from rehearsal, pass along the galleries without pausing at some of the restaurateurs or the cafes, where, if there is anything choice or hotter or colder or fresher than all the other things, it is for Mademoiselle Virginie dejazette cette bonne dejazette as all from the dame de comptoir to the little marmiton who runs with the saucepans after the chef or chief cook exclaim every time she comes within their doors at the other end of the palais royal almost at the same hour has terminated the rehearsal at the Théâtre Français. but the imperial rachel the refined madeleine brohan would not condescend to tread the arcades of the palais royal their carriages have taken them up the rue richelieu and the actors and admirers stand still hat in hand gaping after the tragic and the comic muse and listening to their retreating carriage wheels our palais royal keeps on the even tenor of its way for some hours until between four and five then its garden is entirely deserted waiters and all the trees and tables have it all to themselves the galleries begin to fill here is a bourgeoise holding her little impatient son by the hand walking slowly along to meet papa who is coming from his office and has promised them both a treat here he is the boy is off the mamma has only blushed and smiled but has not quickened her pace now they are together what is to be their first move asks the boy he leads or rather pulls them to where a charming well-conducted wax facsimile of himself stands most elaborately dressed, at the door of a warehouse of ready made boy's clothes, in they plunge the boy holding his breath, the mamma delighted, the papa bewildered. The boy wants a fancy hussar uniform, which would give him a resemblance to puss in boots. The mamma lingers over velvet tunics and fancy caps. But a quiet and gentle, eh, non, mon ami, calms her down and brings her to something more suited to their purse and station. Now to dine mamma leaves that entirely to papa he takes them up the clean though narrow stairs between two shops and they emerge into a splendid saloon all chandeliers painting and gilding with innumerable small tables varying to large and largest according to the party having secured a table near the open window overlooking the garden they all sit down to a dinner at quarante sous two francs a head for which they will have soup trois plats three dishes and two kinds of dessert each together with a bottle of wine and as much bread no inconsiderable quantity as they can eat the boy is so awed into silence by the lights the bustle and the strange faces that he remains perfectly quiet mamma takes off her mantilla and folds it up not having the art of the class above her of throwing it off so as to add a grace to her attitude without injuring its folds she also takes off her bonnet and papa hangs it up on a peg looking at himself in the long mirror as he does it and passing his fingers becomingly through his hair after dinner they will proceed to the theatre du palais royal to see our des play the pieces she had been rehearsing when we saw her in the morning this little family treat takes place once or more a year amongst the happy ménages of the bourgeoisie meantime our galleries below have been suddenly filled to suffocation all however intent on the same thought dinner dinner whether at forty sous or forty francs a head. Here comes a party of English. Scrupulously dressed are all the mammas and daughters, and fastidiously diplomatic is our papa. The whole party are under guidance of some fast cousin who has resided for many years in Paris and who knows its ins and outs as well as we do, and some ins and outs which we do not. He is correspondent to some English newspaper or attaché to some banking house, but for this evening and for many more to come, he intends that his newly arrived cousin shall be his banker and re-establish his credit in all the restaurateurs in Paris. Today it is the trois freres. And if papa should stare a little at the sum total of francs, why his cicerone will immediately turn it into guineas and compare it to what such a dinner would cost at the Clarendon. And papa feels he has enjoyed the first-rate thing dirt cheap, never reflecting that he never in his life should have thought of dining at the Clarendon and certainly perfectly unconscious of having insured his cousin's dinners for the next three months another survey of the galleries here is one of the elegants of the boulevard des italiens how has he wandered from the Cafe de paris and come to the palais royal to dine at verres or Vefours, great celebrities still but frequented more by provincials and foreigners and the bourgeois from the marais on extravagant thoughts intent than by the fastidious aristocracy of fashion The reason of finding him here is that he is not alone. On his arm there is a lady. Her dress is simple and unobtrusive, and her thickly embroidered veil is down. We will not raise it. But there is no indiscretion in following them with our eyes up the private entrance to the Frere Provenceau, where, at a well known signal, the garcon will show them into a cabinet particulier, the prettiest little boudoir imaginable, where we will leave them to choose and order their dinner after dinner a loge grille that is having a screen of gilded trellis work will receive them at one of the minor theatres where they can see without being seen and converse without being overheard during the run of some favourite piece of déjazette at the palais royal carriages with armorial bearings may be seen driving to the principal entrance from the rue saint honore and some well-known grande dame with her husband and a party of friends will step from them into the populous galleries the ladies look about them with childish glee. It is a novel frolic for them, and before going to dinner, they have determined on making the tour of the place. Their manner is perfectly tranquil and reserved, but they enjoy with a mixture of wonder and delight the novel scene before them. Scenes of splendor and magnificence make no impression upon them, to these they have been accustomed from childhood. Scenes of suffering and misery they daily visit. Sorrow they know how to console. Sickness they know how to tend. Crime, vice, nor poverty are nothing new to them. Their mornings are often passed in the midst of all these, and with patience, mildness, and judicious charity they have reformed, relieved, and comforted many. Numerous are the hearts full of gratitude to them. Many are the prayers which nightly breathe their names. The garret and the hovel are alike familiar to them, But the riotous, populous, pushing, laughing, eager, eccentric crowd in which they now are is a novelty and enjoyment they have not yet dreamed of. How they admire the heartiness, the laissez-aller, of those around them. How they wonder at the extraordinary and wonderful combinations of taste and colour in the shop windows. How they linger and look at the family parties, with honesty and content on their faces so eagerly trying not to lose one instant of the enjoyments of the palais royal still to them the representation of luxury and fashion at length they too enter the Freres Provençaux. the ladies cast a lingering longing look at the public rooms but the sedate husbands resist their pleading glances and in one of the small private rooms upstairs the whole party seat themselves at a round table which however is drawn to the window in order not to lose the popular physiognomy of the place we will continue our lounge a little longer stopping at the shops which above all others are decked out meretriciously to attack the unwary here is one whose windows are literally crammed with ribbons of colour for orders and decorations of every country beneath are stars and crosses to match here you can get made at the shortest possible notice any order you may fancy any combination you may compose they will ask for no diploma here and will show you how to wear it when to wear the cross when the ribbon as gravely as though the order were the most respected and respectable reward of merit ever created do not however let this encourage you to expect to wear your order with impunity in the streets of paris the parisian police are as well acquainted with every combination of colour as they are with everything else and will ask you for your diploma or arrest you on suspicion of carrying on some conspiracy by means of false signals here is a shop window with nothing in it but boxes of gloves and a few very few cravats little enough to tempt the customers yes but more goods in the shop window would hide the shop women within who evade all police regulations by means of a cravat and a pair of gloves here is a money-changer securely is he protected from danger by an iron-wire screen which runs entirely across the shop in front of the counter there encaged like some wild animal he stands doling out through little gratings the change minus his percentage to all who have any money to bring either foreign or curious old coins or draughts with good endorsers the only money he will not take at any discount whatever being the paper money of the united states his den has nothing attractive in it yet without our eager eyes staring at the heaps of gold pieces the piles of silver five-franc pieces the notes the silver and gold bullion thrown carelessly on the dark cloth-covered board however ignorant the crowd however honest however self-denying none pass without casting a look and breathing a sigh to this god of the nineteenth century without which virtue intellect genius beauty love and friendship are not only given in vain but are made each and all the mediums of suffering and despair but we have money in our pockets let us pass on we want not these gossamer fabrics called bonnets we want not any embellishment for our olive branches such as are to be found here from the fair cradle robe to the fanciful garment allowed to boyhood now if you want coat waistcoat or trousers Here are enough to replenish the wardrobe of the army of the Crimea. And then, such dressing-gowns! They quite take away one's breath to look at them. Red and gold brocade with golden cables, big as the ropes of Cleopatra's gilded barge. Green and gold, lined with white satin. Sombre black velvet, made to look palais royalish by intricate coloured and silver embroideries. Who wears these dressing-gowns? Actors, unsuccessful ones, who mistook good looks for talents and rail forever at the bad taste of the world, hairdressers, who have discovered some wondrous hair dye upon which they give fashionable consultations, dentists, who fill your teeth with California pure gold as difficult to extract from your lacerated gums as the original metal from the original mines, young officers in Her Majesty Queen Victoria's lifeguards, who dawdle over their breakfasts, dressed all to their coats. In these monstrous productions of false taste and vulgarism, fancying they have quite l'air parisien. Here at last we will stop, here before this large plate glass window. Here is a white, immaculate marble slab. In the centre lies a glorious lobster, who looks as though his last effort has been to lie down amidst the fresh and verdant salad for which he was destined. Near him are a whole colony of plump ortolans, lying like tiny warriors, taking their rest with their larded cloaks around them. A pâté de foie gras sits ponderously on a silver dish, whilst one of Perigord, cut in half, winks its black truffle eyes at you with a look of invitation. Crawfish stick out in prickly pyramids. Peaches blush and bloom amid large vine leaves. Smelts, finely breaded, solicit the frying pan. Green peas ogle the finely stuffed ducks, and the majestic turkey, stuffed to obesity with truffles, Bria Savarin says you should always eat in tete-a-tete that is with the turkey and yourself is enthroned in the midst hungry boys are sniffing the savory fumes of the kitchen giving relish to their dry bread with the various sauces which in turn ascend to their olfactory nerves shall we go in and taste the reality a visionary dinner is meagre fare so now for vifours, for it is before vifours we have stopped then we will take our cafe at the Cafe Foi, with a tiny glass of cognac, and you will be fit for either Rachel or De both of whom are within your reach End of chapter nineteen